Father God, thanks so much for uh, being here with us today. Uh, God, thanks for your love. Thanks for being a God who um, reveals yourself to us, for, for not being um, shy or quiet about who you are or what you have in mind for us, um, God, but for making yourself known. I praise you and thank you for that, oh God. And I ask you today that, you would, uh, that you'd make these things clear that we wonder about, a uh, God, that most of all that you would make yourself clear and that we would come to know you, that we'd come to receive your truth in your life, that we would come to experience the fullness of a relationship with you. And I pray this in Christ. Amen. Um, so today's topic, as we said, is uh, a topic where in a minute you're going to be able to text in your questions. Again, that number is uh, 636-686-0140. I've actually got that memorized, and I don't even know my own phone number, so uh, that's pretty good. Um, and we're going to talk today about a topic that, uh, that is, that's kind of a hot-button topic for, for a lot of people. The question is, do all religions point to God? Now, here's what I can guarantee um, based on a message like this, that because of a message like this, I am not going to win any popularity contests um, because this is kind of a lose-lose topic. See, for some of you who are, who are, who are a part of this today, um, I'm not going to be hard-lined enough for you in some of my answers. And uh, I'm going to try to answer faithfully and biblically, but I'm not going to be hard-lined enough for you, and so I'm going I'm to lose some respect in your eyes probably today, and I'm okay with that, because uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, but, but here's the thing. The reason I I'm I'm, might lose some respect for you is because the, the basic answer to this question, do all religions point to God, the basic answer is yes. And yet, that doesn't mean what you might think. See, I'm going to offend the other half of you, probably, by how I'll go a step further and say, uh, pointing to God and all religions pointing to God is not the same thing as saying that all religions are equal, that all religions are true, or that all religions lead to God. I, I don't believe that you get to God by just being sincere or trying to be a good person. I'm not a universalist. And so either way, uh, this topic is probably unnerving for all of us. And there may be some things that I say today that unnerve you. And that's okay because I find it unnerving too. And we just have to deal with that sometimes, that God is unnerving and his truth is unnerving. But um, as I set this up for you today, I, I want to talk about two topics. They're, they're two theological topics that I think will be help for, helpful for us in framing this discussion. Uh, the first word I want you to know, if you've not heard of it, or the first phrase, rather, is this phrase called natural revelation. Or it's sometimes called um, natural knowledge or general revelation. And natural revelation is this. Ready for a definition? I know that's what you wanted today, right? You wanted definitions to theological topics. Uh, natural revelation is this idea that God has revealed or shown himself to people through the created order, through the world around us, that he has, he's made himself known in some way through the creation. Uh, a lot of places in the Bible talk about this. One place is Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Do you get that? It's, it's, saying, it's saying if you look at the heavens, if you look at the skies, there's something about this created world that screams there's a God. There's something about the created world that points to God. Uh, Romans 2, uh, Romans 1 rather, uh, verse 20 goes on further and it says this, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. You got that? It says, from the beginning of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen by people, people like us, people everywhere. Um, from what has been made, they've, they've been seen, from what is in creation, so that men, women, people are without excuse, Romans 1.20 says. So, so this idea of natural revelation is that, that God has, has sown knowledge of himself 
in the created world. It, it bears traces of him. It's, it's got his fingerprints all over it. But that's not just in the created world outside of us. The Bible actually says that God has revealed himself in a natural way to each and every one of us uh, as, as people. Ecclesiastes 3.11, um, it talks a lot about every time there's a, for every uh, season, for every uh, thing there is a season or a time or a purpose under heaven and then it ends this way it says God has also set eternity in the hearts of men and uh and it says it's basically saying it's basically explaining why every group of people who has ever lived in every time in every place have wrestled with this question of who God is they've been trying to get or figure out God and Ecclesiastes says the reason that is is because God has implanted in each and every one of us this idea of eternity. He has set eternity in our hearts. Why is people, we talked about this last week, should we fight death when death is so natural? At least in the animal kingdom it is. Animals don't seem to fight against it in the same way that we do. Why? Because God has set in our hearts this idea that death is not natural, that we were created for eternity. So Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, and yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So, so we kind of have this idea of something bigger, something greater, and yet we don't fully understand what it is from a natural way. See, see this natural revelation, it, it basically says, again, to answer the question for today, yes, every religion on earth is, is kind of pointing to God, but it's doing so on the basis of natural revelation or natural knowledge. They're, they're pointing to try to figure out this God who's revealing himself in creation and also revealing himself to each of us on a heart level and yet they don't get the full picture. See, because every religion is not just built on natural revelation, it's also built on a form of what we call special or specific revelation. And this is what makes each religion different. This is, you know, their core documents or teaching or scriptures. And for us, our special revelation is not just the Bible. Um, our special revelation really is Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, and all of the exclusive claims that he makes. See, this is what makes the Christian faith different, is that we look to Jesus as the full revelation of God. That in Jesus, we see the fullness of God, and Jesus says some, some pretty exclusive stuff. Uh, one of these places uh, where Jesus says some exclusive stuff is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. If you want to go there, um, you can go to uversion.com right now, um, or open the app from Uversion on your smartphone. And uh, a bunch of these scriptures that I've already gone through are there. If you want to study those later in the week, they're going to be there for you all week. Um, but you can go and look at 1 Timothy 2 right now. Paul is, a guy named Paul is the writer here. And this is what he says. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Paul says, pray for everyone, right? For kings and all those in authority especially, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. For this is good, he says. It's good to pray for all people, and it pleases God our Savior. Why? Because he wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you hear that? God desires all people to be saved. All people to be saved. God, God has not looked on the planet and said, I want you, I want you, I want you, I don't want you, I for sure don't want you right? God hasn't done this. The Bible says that that's not the case. God has a desire for every person who has ever breathed air, and even before then, uh, to be saved. But then it goes a step further, and it says God doesn't just want people to be saved. He could do that easily enough, I guess, but he wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge 
of the truth. See, God wants us to not just be saved, but he wants us to come to the knowledge of truth, to embrace truth in this life, to, to build our life on truth. Why? Because truth will set us free, the Bible says. When you know the truth, you have freedom, you have life, you begin to live in the way that we were all created to live. It's an incredible thing. And yet at the same time, truth is exclusive, right? The moment you start talking about truth, you, you get narrow and specific. If one thing is true, that means other things by nature of that statement are not true. Now, some of you today, you may struggle with this idea of truth, and you may adamantly say that there is no absolute truth. And I would ask you, are you absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth? Because if you're making an absolute statement, you, you must believe in absolute truth. See, see, the moment you make anything absolute, anytime you make a, a dogmatic statement, you, you're getting exclusive, and the Bible does this, Jesus does this. And so it says, yes, there is one God. There is one God, and then it continues on. It says, there is one God, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Hear that again? For all people, Christ died. The testimony given in its proper time. See, see, I love the way the Bible talks about this. It says, yes, it's true. There is one God, one true God. But, But not only is there one true God, But there's one true mediator who stands between God and men. This is a very important concept for us here today. Uh, Because some people would say, well, well, you know, all these different religions, aren't they just exploring different facets of God? You know, kind of like there's the old philosophical argument about an elephant, blind men, you know, feeling an elephant. And and it's all one elephant, yet they feel different parts, and so they come to different conclusions. And the Bible says it's not just important that you understand who God is, but, but there's this important role of mediator that, that really makes all the difference in the world. Now, now what does a mediator do? We're going to get interactive today, so we might as well start now. What does a mediator do? Just yell something out. What's a mediator? Settles disputes. Spoken from a lawyer's voice, I think I know that voice, and she is a lawyer. So uh, uh, what else does a mediator do? Mediator do? What was that? go-between, right? A mediator is an incredible, not just a legal word, but it's a relational word, right? A mediator stands between two parties or more who cannot get along, who, who don't have common ground, who are estranged, and they go between and they broker a truce, ideally. They broker reconciliation. And see, I love that, that in the Bible, Jesus is referred to not just as Savior, not just as Lord, but he's referred to as our mediator, which tells us something. It tells us that, that our human problem isn't just that we don't know God. You know, this question is phrased in such a way as if, as if our only problem is that we just need someone to point out God to us. And once we know, we're like, oh, okay, there's God. I'm going I'm to go get him now, and, and that's all we need. But, but the truth is, that's not all we need. Even if someone can point us to God, we still can't get there. In fact, most of us probably in our, in our, in our spirits don't even want to get there because we've got this problem with God. And yet, and yet Jesus is this mediator who brokers this truce between us and God who brings us back into relationship with God so that we can experience all the benefits of that relationship, which is not just heaven someday, but it's life now and it's freedom and it's joy and it's peace and it's fullness. It's incredible. Uh, in another place, in John 14, 6, uh, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, maybe you've heard these words before, and often these words kind of get people's blood boiling because it's so exclusive. It sounds so harsh of Jesus to say this. 
And yet, I, I think the reason we have a hard time with these words is because we misunderstand what Jesus is doing here. He's not speaking to a bunch of Christians saying, hey, hey, you guys are right and everyone else is wrong. What he's doing is he's casting an open invitation to the whole world saying, if you want to find truth, if you want to find life, I'm it. Just come to me and I'll willingly, freely give you all of those things. Come to me and you'll find it, Jesus says. See, here's the big deal for me on this whole subject. It's not Jesus' fault that no one else has what he has. Sometimes we get frustrated with Jesus and we say, why is he so close-minded? Why is he so exclusive? We're thinking about this in the wrong way. It is not Jesus' fault that he has what we're looking for and no one else does. That's not on him. In fact, to be mad at Jesus about that, for having what it is that we want and offering it freely to anyone, is sort of like being mad at Target for being the store, the only store in town that has your favorite ice cream or chips or underwear or socks or whatever it is that you love to buy at Target, right? See, if Target's got the stuff you're looking for, you usually don't get mad at Target for being the only place in town that carries your stuff, right? If you're going to be mad at someone, be mad at all those other stores out there that claim that they have everything you need and don't have what you actually need, right? And, uh, and if Target decides one day to send out an ad to every home in our area saying, we've actually got everything that you're looking for, let me ask you a question. Does that make them arrogant or does that make them helpful? Does that make them gracious? I hope someone from corporate Target, Target uh, corporate office is watching this because uh, I might just get some you know, kickback for that. I just gave them a great plug. Um, uh, you know, let, let, me close, let me close with this and then we'll get to the questions uh, by text. Um, I, I think part of what makes this such a raw subject for us is not what the Bible says about this. It's really the way that Christian people over the years have handled this issue. It's how we have acted um, in, in all of this. See, we've taken this, this message of Jesus, this invitation where Jesus says, I am the way for all people. I will give you truth. I will give you life. I will give you freedom. I will give you forgiveness and hope. It is for everyone, irrespective of who you are, where you come from, or what you've done. We've taken that message as Christians, and we've used it to be arrogant, superior, to sit in judgment of other people, to be condemning, to look down our nose at other people. And let me just assure you, that is a problem with us as people. That's not a problem with God, and it's not a problem with the Bible. In fact, as the New Testament talks about this whole issue, it, it, the writers, they're so sensitive, and they're so careful. In 1 Peter, it actually says this. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the, for the reason for the hope that you have. So it says, when people ask you about your faith, about your hope, about your life, be ready to testify to who Jesus is. And yet right with it, it says this, it says, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, in the Bible, it is never permissible just to say accurate things. Every time the Bible talks about speaking truth, it always ties in the character or the manner or the quality of the people who are speaking that truth. And so 1 Peter here says, it's not enough to give an answer. Do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, again, one of these great writers of the New Testament, he's talking about this message that Christians have, but, but he challenges them, and, and he says, this is not about arrogance. And he goes through this whole list in 2 Corinthians 6, where he talks about how humbling this is that we have this message. And so he talks... He lists out all these ways that we are called to serve and help and do everything we can to, to lay down our life for people so that they will be compelled to come to Christ too. It's never about superiority or arrogance. 
It's always about humbly serving, doing whatever it takes to help other people receive the free gift that Jesus offers. See, Jesus' invitation has been extended to everyone. And he offers them the things that every person on earth longed for. And his followers, we, have turned this into an issue of, of, uh, of arrogance. We've made it into an ego trip. We are right, you are wrong. We've missed the whole point, and that's on us. That's not on him. What he comes to offer really is for everyone and anyone who will receive it by faith. Okay, uh, we're going to get to your, your questions now. Uh, once again, if you could put up that number, uh, text your question, 636-686-0140. I'm going to pray uh, for myself right now before those questions start rolling in because I need it. Let's pray. Um, God, uh, I don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm not smart enough. And give me uh, humility today to know what I can answer and what I can't. And God, also give me your spirit to, to speak truth, but to do it in a way that will be pleasing to you as well. I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. First question, it's up here. All right. Uh, what happens to people who never heard of Jesus? What about those who were born or died before Jesus? Um, so we've really got two questions here. What happens to people who never heard of Jesus at all? And what about those who were, who, uh, who were born or died uh, before Jesus, who lived before Jesus? So um, if you talk about specifically the people in the Old Testament, um, they lived in the anticipation of the Messiah, of the Christ. That's why all throughout the Old Testament you see all this prophecy. They, they had this understanding that one day God was going to visit them in such an incredible way and, uh, and they anticipated that. So even though they didn't see Jesus, they, they were waiting for him. And beyond that, the New Testament says that those people in the Old Testament who lived in a pleasing relationship with God, they lived by the same means that we live here today. They live by faith. And so whether you're Old Testament or New Testament, born before or after Jesus, if you live by faith in the true God, receiving his gift of relationship, recognizing that you are unworthy and, and God's favor and kindness is all that you need to be in a relationship with him, then, uh, then the Bible says that regardless of whether you were before Jesus or like we are after Jesus, if you live by faith, that's what counts. That's what matters. Uh, in the book of Romans, it actually goes several chapters. And, uh, and Paul even begins to describe God's chosen people, the Israelites. Um, and he says, he says, you know what? Being a part of Israel has never really been that much about being a part of a bloodline. You know, you guys all think that being a part of the Jewish people is about being born into the right family or doing the right things. And, and, and he goes through this list and he goes, well, what about this guy? He was cut off from Israel because he had no faith. And what about this woman? She was, she was a, a pagan prostitute at the time, and yet she was brought into Israel because she was a woman of faith. Paul goes through and he says, you know what? It's never really been that much about a bloodline. It's always been about people who would live by God's promise and receive it by faith. So that's one half of the question. You know, all throughout time, God has wanted his people to live through faith, and he's given enough of them to, uh, uh, given enough to them to, to be able to see that whether before or after Christ. There's another part of this question here, which is, which is to me is just like the, I, I, I struggle with this question. And the question is, you know, what, what about other people who have never heard about Jesus? Um, and, and this is where, for me, I've just got to, I've got, I've got to humble myself and I think we as people in the room who might be Christians, we have to humble ourselves to say, uh, we are never called in the Bible to sit as ultimate judge over anyone's fate. Okay, hold on to this. I want you to hear me, okay? We are never called to sit in judgment over anyone's fate. God reserves that role solely, God the Father reserves that role solely for himself 
to such a degree that Jesus, even when he's on earth, says, you know, as it concerns dates and times of when God is going to come and judge the world, I don't even know this stuff. That's only known by my Father in heaven, Jesus says. So God has, has reserved the role as judge solely for himself, okay? And yet at the same time, he's given to, to those of us who will receive Christ assurance ahead of time of what our verdict will be. And so he says, you know, if you want, if you want assurance of where, of where uh, you're going to go, of, of what the verdict will be, of whether you will have pleased me or displeased me on judgment day, then, then receive what Christ offers you. Let him stand in your place and you have assurance already. Your verdict is given ahead of time and you can live life in the freedom of knowing that. Okay? So, so as it concerns people who have never heard about Jesus, that is ultimately up to God who is a righteous judge. And the Bible says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And that is up to God to figure out, I don't know. I know that there's one way for assurance. And if some of you want to live and gamble and hope that someday when you sit before God that, that you know, your deeds will line up or, you know, something else and, and, and you, want, you, want, you want to take a, another route to that and see if it gets you to the right place, I'd say, okay, you can do that, but be really careful because God has offered this way of assurance to say, but, but if, if you want to know for sure, if you want to know for sure, if you want no question in your mind when you stand before me on the last day about, about how I will see you, then receive Christ, okay? Um, but if you want assurance, then, then, then receive Jesus Christ. Um, so, so we know that, the God of, that God is the judge and he'll judge rightly, but here's what we also know. And this is where I have to bring it back to us who are um, within the household of faith who are Christians uh, sitting in the room or watching online. This is why it is so important not to play games um, as a church. This is why it is so important, and this is why I continue, will, continually will say along with other leaders that, that what we do here is not just about us, that we exist to make Jesus Christ known because people need him. They need his love. They need his, his mercy. They need his assurance. They need eternity with him. And so this motivates everything that we do. Friends, we should live with urgency if we know Christ to in the most humble serving, compelling way possible to make him known to the ends of the earth. This is why as a local church, you know, here in Ellisville, we're in Cambodia and we're in Belize and we're doing stuff all over the place because we believe that people around the world deserve a shot at hearing Jesus and they deserve the chance to live under the assurance and the grace that we live under. So, so to the question, that's, that's up to God, but, but I know one way that people can be assured and that's our job. To make sure that they have it. Okay, next question. That was a really long answer. All right. Uh, as a former Buddhist, will I be accepted into heaven or will my past as a Buddhist be a hindrance? Um, I, I think I understand this question. Um, I'll approach it from this way. I'm assuming that the person who asked this question is saying they're a former Buddhist. They're no longer a Buddhist. Now they have received Jesus Christ. And um, we know clearly from the Bible that that's all that's required. Um, you know, Paul, who uh, I just told you wrote a lot of the New Testament, was probably, you know, the, the greatest servant of God in the New Testament, from my, from my vantage at least. Um, he was a person who persecuted Christians, even killed them to try to stop the movement, and yet that didn't disqualify him. So uh, whether you're Buddhist in your past, whether you're a-religious, irreligious, uh, atheist, whatever you are in your past, nothing, nothing matters other than this one issue. Do you, uh, do you receive Jesus Christ? Or do you not? I hope that's clear. Next question. Do we believe in the same God as the Jews? Um, do we believe in the same God as the Jews? Uh, yes 
and no. How's that for an answer? Um, of course, we're rooted in the same faith tradition. Uh, we've got part of the Bible that's true. Uh, but I said this in my message, that Jesus comes onto the scene, and he is the, he is the full revelation of God. So now you can read your Old Testament, and you could come to a lot of confusing, uh, unclear questions about God, about what it means to be in a relationship with God, about what pleases God. But Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, he says, I'm clearing it all up. If you ever wonder what God is like, just look at me and I'll show you. And not only that, uh, but remember, the point of all this isn't just to point to God and to say, this is what God is like, go get him. Jesus' role is to be our mediator, to be the one who brings us and God back together. Um, and so while, while there's some similarities, we're built off the same faith system, Jewish people lack the, the most important part uh, unless they've received Christ, because there are a lot of Jews who have received Christ, and they still hold on to their Jewish heritage, their Jewish ethnicity, even some of their Jewish customs, and yet they call themselves uh, Messianic Jews or completed Jews sometimes, uh, because, because they've, they've received Christ. So, so without that fundamental ingre- ingredient of receiving Christ, the one who can bring you and God back together, who is not just there to teach you the way, but the one who is the way, the one who doesn't just have truth, but the one who is truth, the one who just doesn't show you the way to life, but the one who is life. Uh, Without Jesus, you're missing the fullness of what God has, and and so you're kind of missing the whole picture, we believe. Again, that's that's not anything to be arrogant about. That's very humbling to me, and I hope it's very humbling to you, and I hope it's motivating. Um, From live stream, woo! Uh, What, you guys don't like live stream? I know you do. We love live stream. Do, do you subscribe to the point of view that polite conversation should avoid discussion of religion and politics? <laughs> um, I, I've got enough political diversity in my family um, that, uh, that I will say that if you bring up religion or politics, the conversation will quickly get impolite. So I guess your goal is, um, do you want to keep the conversation polite or not? Because uh, uh, certainly these can be controversial things, but I don't think they have to be always. Um, uh, again, you know, throughout the New Testament, we are charged, uh, we are commanded, if, if we know Christ, to not be shy about speaking about him. But we're also commanded or charged to be very careful about the, the way we speak, about the words we choose, just about our attitude or our manner. Uh, and I found, you know, being a pastor, it, I try to bury that when I meet someone new for a while. Because uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's encumbering on getting to know someone. The moment they hear your pastor, they start to look at you funny or they start to think about what they've said already that might have offended you. And it's just really, really awkward. So I try to hide that for a little while. Um, and then when that comes up, sometimes either the conversation will get shut down or it turns incredibly religious. And so I've had a lot of theological discussions with people. And here's what I find. That, it, that if you speak with a, the with a point of view of humility, um, if you speak saying, this, this is just what I believe, and this is what I know. If you spend time asking them what they believe, maybe even first, in what they know, and you show a vested interest in them, they tend to be open to hearing you too, and it doesn't have to turn into anything impolite. Um, uh, Steve Hauer, in the earlier services, I've been here all morning, and I, I heard him, uh, and he said he, uh, there was a semprof he had that said, the problem with us as Christians is we expect to plan, plant a seed, water it, and reap a harvest all in the same day, Right? Uh, we've got this impatient idea of, well, I should be able to ask you about Jesus, tell you about Jesus, watch you come to Jesus, and then go on your way and live a life of productive uh, service to Jesus all right now. And uh, if not, you're going to hell. You know, we, we get really frustrated. And uh, that's just not the attitude that God wants us to have. God is, God is patient, the Bible says, so many times. He is, he is patient, not wanting anyone to suffer, 
Uh, all day long, he holds out his hand to a disobedient people, the Bible says. And so we need to exemplify a little more patience in our dialogue with people. And when you find it getting heated or impolite, it is your responsibility as a Christian to say, you know, my, my fault. I, I think I've come across this the wrong way. I apologize. I maybe have been too harsh or arrogant. I, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe we can back this back a notch. And, and when you do that, uh, you'll be surprised how people go, okay. And it keeps the conversation going. All right, enough on that. Uh, with all the religions out there, how do we know that Christianity is right? Uh, th- this is a great question. You know, it gets to the heart of, of what uh, we're talking about here today. Um, and although part, part of the answer to this question is, I, I think once you've experienced Christianity on the backside, um, once you've experienced it, you kind of just know that it's right. And, and here's why I think, th- there are a lot of great books written um, under the subject of apologetics. Uh, pastor Howard, our senior pastor, has even written a small booklet called Reasons to Believe. Um, and so there are a lot of logical arguments that say that, that Christianity is in some way a, a superior faith system. And, and here's why I think it's superior, is because it actually deals with life in a very real way. Uh, Christianity, I believe, in our foundation series, answers some of this too. Uh, so if you're interested, you can check out more on that starting uh, this week. Um, Christianity answers the big life questions better than any other faith system in a way that is grounded in reality. See, all these other faith systems tend to say, you know what, your biggest problem is that you're just not a very good person or you're not, you're not disciplined, so go and be disciplined, be a better person, try harder. How many of you have tried that, you know, in life, tried to be a better person before? How many of you have succeeded and you are now a better person? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, me neither, Right? Why doesn't this work? Why do New Year's resolutions don't last? Why? You know, every other faith system just says, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder, and you can, you can get there if you just try hard enough. In the Christian faith, it says, no, no, this is different. See, you actually can't do this. And you will struggle to the day you die with not being the person that you know you should be. And that is why God has come in flesh to be all that you can't be. To be perfect, to be loving, to be trusting, to be faith-filled. To, Jesus comes and stands in our place and he lives the life that we all wish we could live, the life that we all should live. And he does it perfectly. And, and then Jesus on a cross takes all of, of the judgment for, for the ways that we fail upon himself so that we now get the benefits of, of the life that he lived. And, and to me, that's the heart of the Christian message that makes it so different. It takes into account the fact that no matter how hard we try, we're not going to get it right. I, I, I've said this before, you know, um, we've got some steps up here. And, uh, and if you were to line up all the people in the world uh, on steps, um, you know, big staircase, and the bottom step was people who are bad people, you know, the worst people you can imagine. And uh, in your mind, maybe you're thinking of who that, that person would be. And then you put at the top of the step the best people that you could ever imagine. Um, you know, just the Mother Teresa's of the world, the Gandhi's of the world, just Martin Luther King. You know, the best, the best people in the world at the top of the step. Every world religion has to eventually go, okay, let's see, you're, you're here, you're here. What is the cutoff? What is the step where you are officially good enough, or at least not bad enough, in order to make it into, you know, an eternity with God or, or not without God? Where is the cutoff there? Every world religion has to arbitrarily just kind of go, mm, I think it's here. And they draw that line, and everyone above is, is yay, and everyone below is, is not. Christianity is fundamentally different. Because it doesn't say, oh, this step, what it does is it draws a dividing line down the middle of the steps. And it says, whether you are on the bottom step, the worst person I can imagine, the only thing that matters is if you have received the free gift of a relationship with God. Reconciliation, wholeness with God through Jesus. 
It depends on what side of the line that you're on, not whether you're up or down. And to me, this is what makes Christianity so freeing, is that it's finally assurance. You know, it is, it is finally a sure answer for me. And this is what we long for as people more than anything else, and this is what no world religion can give you. Uh, whether, whether you're a Hindu and you're talking about reincarnation, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Buddhist talking about extinction or nirvana, uh, it's all kind of like, well, you just kind of have to wait and see when you get there. But Christianity says, no, 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 you can know for sure now, here and now. And it's the only world religion I know of that is bold enough to claim this. And it's not on the basis of whether you're good or bad. It's on the basis of whether or not you receive uh, Jesus Christ and what he can do to mediate this relationship and bring you back into the life and the freedom of God. Come on, I want another question. Just kidding. Okay, uh, they cut me off uh, on questions. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, if, if your question was asked and it was not answered, um, tune into the sixth podcast this week. You can find that podcast in the iTunes store or by going to our website. Uh, it comes out usually on Wednesday. It's going to come out a little early this week. We will go back through and answer some of the questions we didn't get a chance to answer. Um, and, uh, and, you know, thanks for texting in your questions. Here's what I want to do now. Um, I want you to stand, if you will, please.